Welcome to the Purposeful Planning Podcast, where you'll gain tangible, practical suggestions to help you transform and elevate your practice. Our content is for both seasoned professionals working with complex family systems and those just entering the field. These podcasts will also be valuable for family leaders who are dedicated to helping individual family members find their pathway to flourishing lives and strengthening the relational fabric of the family. Welcome and thank you for joining us. And now your host. Good day, everyone. I'm John A. Warnick, the founder of the Purposeful Planning Institute, and it's an exciting opportunity for for us to engage with Emma Beeston, um, who was recommended to us by our two deans of, of philanthropy within the Purposeful Planning Institute. And I'm really, Emma's um, recently completed a book, which I think is um, packed with some valuable information. Um, it's called Advising Philanthropist Principles and Practice. And she has a co-author, Dr. Beth Breeze. But Emma, it's we, we love to start our podcast by asking our guests if they would share what we call their purposeful odyssey. That's the story of your professional meanderings that lead you to where you are today. If you could kind of share that with us in a few minutes, then we'll dive into all the wonderful conversation points that you and I have discussed for this podcast. Oh, thank you so much, John. It's lovely to be here. And meandering is definitely the right word. I never set out to be a philanthropy advisor. I don't think many people do. So it's certainly something that I've ended up doing by accident and, and enjoy. But I'm based in um, the UK. So I work now as a as an independent philanthropy advisor. Um, but my background to get to this point was originally, well, originally a zoologist of all things. Um, but that sort of by the by, I think I use that every day and that people are animals, but that's not always how other people see it. Um, but I ended up working in um, charities in the UK. So working in, in sort of delivery, in advice, in mental health and in, in youth work. I was a youth worker as one of my earlier jobs um, and then became involved in grant making. So ended up working, um, managing programs, giving um, grants to individuals and then managing um, the programs of quite large institutional funders here in the UK and was comfortable. It's a lovely role working in foundations and working with funders, but got to a point where I needed a bit of a stretch, a bit of a challenge. And that's when I took the leap to become a consultant and looking at the skills that I had, I decided that philanthropy advisor um, was the thing that I was going to be, even though it was very little known here and not many people doing it. So uh, alongside my practice, so I work in my practice, I work with um, a range of different clients, but often people on the start of their journey, they're looking to do something in philanthropy, they're looking to give, but they don't really know where to start. So that's often where I get involved. But alongside my practice, I teach. So I teach on a master's programme with Beth Breeze, who's the co-author of the book. And the module that we co-created as part of this master's was on advising philanthropists. 
And when we looked to set this up, which was many years back now, we found that there just wasn't any information. There wasn't any research on advisors. So although there's lots of books on philanthropy, there's loads of opinions on what a philanthropist should do, what they shouldn't do. But the and, and quite rightly, lots of profile on philanthropists and, and donors themselves. What there wasn't was much attention on on who's advising them. And clearly people are advising them and have been for many, many years. So that's why eventually we've we've we came from teaching the course um, and all the learning we've done over the few years to then deciding to write a book. Um, really just to introduce the profession to people. I know it's better known in, in the States um, than it is here, but it's very much a new emerging profession that people might be curious about, but really don't know very much about at all. So the book is an introduction and it's about raising awareness of who are these philanthropy advisors, what are they doing? And um, we had the privilege of interviewing, I think it was 40, different philanthropy advisors across 15 countries around the world. So the book is packed full of, of their insights as well as everything we've been able to gather over the years. I think what a marvelous project. And you're, you're right, there is, um, you know, a growing number of philanthropic advisors and consultants in the U.S. It's about 10% of the PPI membership, so approximately 50 individuals identify within PPI as philanthropic advisors or consultants. Um, and there is a group I served on the board for almost four years of the International Association of Advisors in Philanthropy, otherwise known as AIP. And I think it's a bit pretentious, but they, they did have a goal of trying to be an international association of philanthropic advisors. And since I left um, active service within AIP, I don't know how well they're doing at their international spread. But coming back to this marvelous uh, project, seeking out, interviewing 40 philanthropic advisors across 15 different nations, I, I'd just be curious what that all sums up to, Emma, for you in terms of how you would answer the question, why sh should all advisors, not just philanthropic advisors, but why should all client advisors be talking about philanthropy? Thanks, John. And certainly those those 40 that we did interview are all specialist philanthropy advisors. So they work in different settings, different approaches, different styles. So it's fascinating to, to get to hear all of their, their stories. But also what they have in common is that desire and that the skills to unlock giving. And I guess the philanthropy advisors are there for this specialist group. But the fact is that wealthy people are being advised by all sorts of other advisors. And in order to unlock that giving, which is, as we know, is hugely needed. I mean, philanthropy can't fix everything, but it can certainly help address the environmental and social issues that, that we face in this world. And so I don't think it's enough to leave it to the relatively small number of philanthropy advisors to, to kind of unlock that giving and support their clients. Actually, wealth managers, financial planners, tax advisors and others a part of that, if they can raise the conversation, if they can talk about philanthropy with wealthy people as it's a norm, it's something you can do, it's something you can learn about, it's something you can get help with, then that really helps all of us 
to increase the amount of giving there is going to be going on by by wealthy people and obviously when it's not your prime job it's difficult to you know take on philanthropy advice as well as everything else that you're doing but it would be lovely to see that everybody had the confidence to start that conversation and to raise the topic and certainly their clients want to talk about their purpose want to talk about legacy want to talk about you know things that matter to them so if, if other advisors were able to do that and then make appropriate referrals to a philanthropy advisor then i think we would all benefit from that and i always think of it as a bit of a mutual exchange so i you know if i'm working with a client who is seeking you know who's looking say to set up a giving vehicle and they're going to need some specialist advice around some of the tax implications or the timing of when they're going to draw down investments areas that i do not advise on i will happily advise them to you know contact investment managers and tax advisors and i kind of want the favor returned so when clients are talking about philanthropy i would love that other advisors have that conversation and then go actually we can link you into some specialists some peers some learnings and support some advisors that that reciprocity um would be should be the rule rather than the exception and i i think emma as i listen to you any any client advisor who feels or or sees the opportunity to engage in conversation with clients around philanthropy if that advisor consultant is philanthropic in their own journey in their own life i think they're going to be so much more impactful in those conversations than if they're just suggesting oh you might want to give some money away uh, yeah. and do some good what about us as advisors doing good too we'll come back to that a little bit later um I no, also... I think it's important. Oh, I think it's important if we can touch on it now, because I think there is a there's a business imperative of talking to your clients about philanthropy. I think the research says it, you know, it deepens those conversations. It, it helps with building relationships, but that's apart, as you say, from the philanthropic motivation. So I think if advisors themselves are giving and understand that that often is not as easy as it looks, um, then I think that's incredibly helpful in in initiating those conversations. I, I would agree completely. Um, I love the thought that you've made me aware of that there's so much more to philanthropic advice than just the technical aspects that there, there's kind of this psychological, emotional side. And when you talked about unlocking, unleashing philanthropic energy, I have to believe that this emotional psychological side of, of working with the, the potential donors is extremely important. Hmm. Yes, and I think there's often a lot of focus on the technical or maybe some of the data or the metrics around impact. But the reality is that philanthropy is a, is a voluntary act. So it's always gonna be about personal motivation. It's also an expression of values. So it goes, deep and often it can be um, emotional for other reasons so perhaps um, client has come into wealth through loss that's not uncommon or they're thinking about legacy or they're thinking about succession these are deep important issues or you know they're 
on a more day-to-day -to -day basis when you're working with a family, there just might be some family dynamics involved, which we all know it will happen in families. So it's not just here is the most logical thing you should be doing and X, Y, Z, that's how you do it. It just doesn't work like that because you're talking about passion and motivation and aspiration. And you're touching on some quite difficult topics around attitude to money, attitude to wealth, um, the power of wealth, you know, the how um, you're looking at succession issues. So all these things are about people. So a philanthropy advisor, yes, they're bringing knowledge and expertise in philanthropy in different approaches, but they also have to be very skilled in listening and, and facilitation of, of, a, of a deeply um, personal and emotional process. Well, well said, Emma. Um, I, I'm just curious, it, I, I don't want anyone to freak out that it's terribly complicated, but I have to believe that there are really, there isn't just a single orthodoxy, not just a single path or right way to go about this work of philanthropic advice. Um, what, what can you share with us on that? So I think, um, People have a very, have one view of what a philanthropist, if you say a philanthropist, then we're going to go into, I'm sorry, probably American, sorry, but you know, a white male tech billionaire who's got a plan, who's got a vision that is doing, you know, going to fix something. And that's certainly part of the options in philanthropy, but people look at that and go, well, that's not me. I don't have that level of money or that level of ambition or I don't want to be high profile or, you know, and that can actually just put people off because they're not seeing themselves reflected. And actually, there are lots and lots of wonderful donors and philanthropists who are quietly giving in all sorts of different ways. And I think as an advisor, you are bringing those options to show people that actually for example, you can give collectively or you can join a funder collaborative. You don't have to have your own initiative. You can join with others and give with them. And that helps you maybe not be under so much pressure or, you know, not have to um, so that you can learn alongside peers as well. So the, there are just different ways of doing it. And I think people get put off by not seeing that reflected. And they also get quite scared that they're going to get it wrong. And, and I think that fear um, can put people off. So I think we have a role in boosting people's confidence. Again, say, look, there's all these different ways and there'll be a way that works for you. It's about learning, it's about exploring. And then also just, I don't wish to complicate it either, but it can be overwhelming when you're starting out because there's so many options and so many choices that actually you can get a bit paralyzed by doing it. So. Um, I think that's where an advisor who is helping you and navigating you through all those different choices, but showing you what can be possible. It, it's doing both things, but there is no one right way. Every single client will be different in what they're interested in and how they, what matters and, and how they want to go forward. I call that the, the taking the blinders off. If you think about, um, what used to happen with all the, the cabbies that were horse-drawn, the blinders that they would put on the horses to keep them focused going forward. And, 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 and you miss so much when you got blinders on, but I love this thought that one of the key roles of a philanthropic advisor is to help take the blinders off and, 
help clients understand all the possibilities. They don't have to do it just on their own. They can join with others. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Emma, let's take us into the force for good that you see that philanthropic advisors and advisors who are encouraging um, and motivating their clients to be philanthropists or engage in some form of philanthropy. Um, how, how do you see this world, the, the good that can be done, and what do you see as the path forward for anyone who feels called to try to do more to help improve the world and the planet that we're on? Mm. So one of the things we, we do talk about in the book and, and we rightly go into is some of the criticisms. So as we know, you know, philanthropy can be criticised and is under scrutiny and philanthropy advisors themselves are not immune from that criticism. So there's some that will argue that, you know, advisors are just supporting, you know, wealthy people to do whatever they want. So we're the servants that are doing that um, or that we're in the way we're kind of creating a layer of bureaucracy between donors and, and fundraisers and we're kind of getting in the way or that we are you know just a, a wealthy elite that's making money out of you know nonprofits and get it in the flat feet so we don't hide from those criticisms yes it is a very privileged position to be able to support people to give yes there are there are some problems with philanthropy it's not perfect but we also come down not surprisingly obviously I'm very biased as a philanthropy advisor but I do think we, we make a very good case for actually the added value that philanthropy advisors are bringing so in that sense that they are through the relationships with the donors they're able to challenge it's not just a passive role. They're bringing knowledge of the nonprofit sector to maybe people that don't understand, you know, how nonprofits work and how they operate. So we can um, explain how that world works, what the reasonable expectations might be or might not be. We can promote good practice in how you fund. So whether that's about multi-year giving or, you know, operating costs or just the way that you listen to nonprofits and learn from them and it can be um you know conversations about giving more and encouraging more giving so we're positive in that way as well as um convene we're intermediaries so we're often convening those conversations with nonprofits and 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 helping a fundraiser with the donor as much as the other way around so i think we have to question ourselves and make sure we're adding value and make sure we're making a difference and look at our own values in this work and our own bias and make sure we're operating in a very ethical way and thinking about who we're working with and how much are we serving how much are we challenging what are we trying to influence and what's the overall point of what we're doing and I would say ultimately what we're looking to do is be encouraging more and better giving and I think if that's our role then I think philanthropy advisors definitely are valuable in this space where we're back to this idea of them unlocking um, philanthropic good to go into the world to to do you know more good um, out there in those the hands of those that are delivering on the front line and trying to make a difference to the planet and to the people upon it. 
I just want to say immensely underlined and with exclamation points, I think immensely valuable. And and you made a compelling uh, case for that. I'm going to surprise you with a question around surprise of these 40 um, or so advisors that you talked with in the across the world. Was there a big surprise, something that really you weren't anticipating that having seen that or learned that it stuck with you and you think it might be valuable to close today with? Possibly not a surprise, but still very lovely to hear and definitely struck me was just how incredibly thoughtful they were or were. And considering this is a field where we don't yet have a huge amount of professional development or curricula or, or books to draw on or resources to draw upon, everyone has therefore approached their work in a very thoughtful way. They think about it. They think about what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And that definitely came across strongly. And the variety was huge. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, a person working maybe with one family for years versus someone who might be supporting a donor advice fund who's got, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus clients. So they're hugely diverse in, in just the practicalities of what they're doing, let alone operating in different cultures with different clients. But they all definitely shared that common, um, common motivation that they are helping the philanthropist to find out how best they can contribute to what the world needs from them. So it is very much driven by the world needs you to be doing this, not so much by, oh, what can I, what does my client want? It, it's, it was really interesting to hear the different perspectives, but that was definitely the common purpose was that desire to help more people um, to be giving well. I, I love that answer. And if it wasn't a surprise, it doesn't sound like, but it was a kind of a joyous affirmation of the potential and the good that are being uh, accomplished by these philanthropic advisors as diverse as their situations were. I am, I'm just going to close by asking, are you familiar with the concept person de affairs versus person de confiance? This no, is a, lighten okay. me. This is a Jay Hughes concept. I'll send you a paper that um, I'm going to be talking from at the Heritage Institute this Wednesday, where I, but Jay described, and this is kind of a European um, aristocracy or from the royalty, the persona d'affaire was he or she who was charged with daily responsibilities around the uh, palace but the person, the, the confiance was the person that literally would be served the soup before it was served to the king or queen. And, and they were trusted to, you know, take one for the team, so to speak, if somebody was trying to poison the royalty. And persons de confiance, I, I've kind of been inspired by that. And as you were describing these 40 individuals that you learned from and the curiosity that fueled your interviews with them. It struck me that you were dealing largely, if not exclusively, 
with a community of persons that they confiance. They, it is much more than just the job or the daily task. They care so deeply about those that they're serving. Their empathy is so strong. And, um, and I, I think we can all, no matter how much energy and time we focused in the world of philanthropy, we can all learn from this. Emma, this has been a delightful conversation. And I'm so grateful that you were willing to join us. It's much later in your day than it is ours. And we thank you for, for joining us and for your incredible accent and enthusiasm. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you for introducing me to that concept. That's really testing a trusted advisor relationship, isn't it? Maybe that should be the test where the philanthropy advisors would drink the poison, test the poison soup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's program. And if you are a member of the Purposeful Planning Institute, I want to invite you to come post in the community forum and share your key takeaways from today's conversation. And if you're not a member yet, here's your invitation to join us and be part of our community and access the network, resources, and tools you need to transform your client relationships and your practice. And don't forget to use promo code PURPOSEFUL to receive a 10% discount on a membership. Learn more at PurposefulPlanningInstitute.com. Institute.com.